feel like you're just patting him on the head. Like, oh, you did all right, kid. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to be nice. (laughs) (laughs) This is you nice. That's that's interesting. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. We all go a little mad sometimes. Come on. One of you nuts has got any guts. Put a smile on that face. You're only as healthy as you feel. Listen to me! Listen to you, but what right? Because I have a right to be. I have a voice! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pop Culture Case Study. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Alright, everybody, welcome to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a part of the following films network. So this week, we're going to take a look at Blue Valentine and Falling Out of Love. And to do that, I have a repeat guest. I'm not even sure how to introduce Andrew anymore, because he's got so many damn podcasts, I don't even know (laughs) which one I should mention. So I'm just going to let him do that work. So Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you very much again, uh, having me back. Obviously, I've done something right to be able to return and discuss films again. Um, <laughs> don't so get that's... don't get too excited. It's more like he has availability. He'll watch anything. <laughs> like, oh, that's it. He's dependable. How about that? That's yeah. <laughs> hey, look, and if you want dependable shows, I do two shows. Oh, one what a... eight. Well done. <laughs> It's called a segue there. Yeah, uh, good. One's called AB Film Review with my wife Bernadette, and we discuss new films and pretty much any films, as the title suggests. And we have a new show out, which is called The Last New Wave, which is just dedicated to discussing Australian cinema. So, Dave has recorded two episodes, which aren't out yet. They'll be out soon enough. Um, but so far, we've discussed films like Lantana and a whole bunch of other new australian releases and done some interviews and stuff so yeah it's it's uh i think it's good um (laughs) and i'm not just saying that because i post it so (laughs) (laughs) not just all right so before we take a break and i talk about uh falling out of love why don't you give us a couple movie recommendations um surprisingly this one was actually quite easy to come up with two film recommendations for uh first off is the Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet film, Revolutionary Road, uh, which is a really interesting film uh, set in the 1950s, and it's quite a devastating film, just like Blue Valentine is. Um, And then also, for me, the more superior uh, film about falling out of love that stars Michelle Williams is the great film Take This Waltz, directed by Sarah Polly. And also stars Seth Rogen in possibly his best role. Uh, It's a really, really fantastic film, which works as a great companion piece to Blue Valentine as a film about, as the the topic is, falling out of love. And it's, yeah, it's a heartbreaking film, just like like Blue Valentine is. Nice. I'll have to check that one out. I've I've seen, of course, Revolutionary Road, but... But that one I haven't seen, so now I have yeah. some homework along with along with the listeners there. <laughs> so thank you for that. All right, uh, so we'll take a quick break. Um, I will talk about Falling Out of Love, and then we'll bring Andrew back to talk about Blue Valentine. All right, so today we're talking about Falling Out of Love. Now, I'm going to take this from a bunch of different articles that I found. I don't feel the need to describe what love is or define it. I think you know that at this point. So the first one is from Psychology Today, and it's written by a doctor named Frederick Newman, MD. So he's a a medical doctor. 
he wanted to write about romantic love objectively, but it's really difficult to do that without hurting people's feelings. We sing about it. We write poetry about it. We feel really strongly about it. And people have this attitude, especially when they fall in love of like, finally, I met that that somebody, that person I've been looking for, as if we were just meant for one particular person out of you know, the hundreds and thousands we meet uh, during our life. So keep that in mind as I talk about these articles, that we're talking about this in a macro sense. Just because I say one thing, it doesn't mean it's tr- necessarily true of your relationship or relationships you've been in. Here's what we know about romantic love. One, people fall in love repeatedly, and sometimes they marry repeatedly as a symbolic show of that love. And two, if a beloved person is away for a long time, like in the army or off at school or in jail, people tend to fall out of love, even if that love is passionate and seems all-consuming at the time. So when we talk about romantic love, it's that exciting, really all-enveloping feeling that can totally preoccupy you. But it also serves a psychological and biological purpose. It is to draw two individuals together so strongly that they don't see each other accurately. They don't see the faults. They rush into sexual relationships, which serves this evolutionary purpose of sustaining survival of our species. And yeah, that's not too romantic, but it is accurate. That's that's why it happens. So we fall in love in order to stay together no matter what until children are brought into the world. Now, when that happens, there are lots of other psychological and economic factors that hold a couple together in a more mature version of love in this kind of family system. This later kind of love is not less powerful or compelling than romantic love, and they tend to like merge into one another. And I think it's kind of interesting. We've reached a point kind of in humanity where either because of our own beliefs or because of overpopulation, not every couple that moves together in this way is going to have children. And yet we still have that desire. We still have that reaction to be with people. So really romantic love is most important at the beginning of the relationship because the relationship at that point is really fragile because we don't know each other very well. We don't know what people are going to do and if they're kind of worth our time. Whereas after you move past that and you know the person and you've created a family with them or just created a bonded unit, you know that person very well. It's not so fragile. So you don't need that passionate romantic love. But romantic love doesn't always lead to permanent relationships. A number of factors have to be just right, and it can fall apart for many reasons. Uh, it can fall apart if the timing if the timing is bad, if one or both people are not ready for that relationship. So falling in love is, yeah, really exciting, but it doesn't necessarily outweigh the benefits of being independent. Also playing a role are the opinion of other people. So this relationship that might have worked just right, perfectly well, when supported by other people, will not if there are familial or friend pressures to continue dating other people or to just not date that person. So this is a reaction usually to how old the couple is. In prior generations, social pressures would push people into marrying at at younger ages. Now the pressure goes in the other direction. Except for certain religious groups, most college graduates aren't expected to settle down until they get to their late 20s or early 30s. The pressures are subtle, but they really are there. Sometimes the same couple will meet again at a different time and then fall in love. But more frequently, they will have moved on and fallen in love with someone else. Now, these pressures will change again when people approach or pass certain ages. As we get older, the possibility of not being able to have children becomes pretty real. And then everyone encourages falling in love and settling down right away. And some people feel like meeting this right person should be left to chance. They take this fatalistic view, which is the idea of like, that person is meant for me, that it's got my name on it. Um, So this argument basically tells you don't worry, and it's an argument for not doing anything at all. But it can be seen kind of as an excuse. There's barely anything in life that 
that is not made more likely by putting in an effort to make it happen. So if you just sit around and wait for it to happen, it's probably not going to happen. But now getting to the point here, there are, there are circumstances that are likely to make a couple fall out of love. Of course, they're very dependent on the couple, um, but the emotional reactions they get are very similar. A couple who fall in love and then out of love tend to pass through certain stages. They tend to feel a very particular way on the way out of the relationship. So most relationships, you know, they follow a similar pattern, like things go really well at the beginning and then little things start to go wrong. In a lot of cases, two things will happen simultaneously. And in this, he uses this imaginary couple named Timmy and Jane. So Timmy goes off on a cruise with his family at a time when he could have been with Jane, who was not, invi- not invited to go along. Jane starts to think and talk aloud about old boyfriends, and both are hurt just a little by the situation. Timmy just then explains that it's an annual cruise paid for by his parents, and then Jane says that bringing up her old boyfriend was a mistake. The past is the past. Now, in the next few months, work seems to interfere with their ability to see each other, even when they tell each other they miss each other. But neither neither person in the couple seems quite as focused on seeing the other one as they did at first. One points out that that it used to be their love was like too passionate to cool down. Jane in this circumstance is kind of annoyed by Timmy not being around. She's, she goes off for a weekend with a couple of friends. And then on the other side, he says, oh, well, you're not available. Despite what you say, look, you're off with your friends. And he noticed that occasionally when he wants to have sex, she's too tired. Both get distracted by issues at work and by their families. They try to be sympathetic to one another, but they both feel taken for granted. Jane goes and works on a weekend purposefully so so her partner knows how it feels to be left alone he comes to their dates late uh as he always did but now it's a problem for jane like she's seen more issues he apologizes but still continues to come up late on a couple of these dates he spends time watching tv instead of paying attention to her so she's become kind of discontent so in what usually happens in these circumstances is you make some some strong attempt to save the relationship. In this case, they go on a vacation together and it does not go very well at all for them. She notices that he starts looking at women when they walk by. He accuses her of being jealous. And then they start to notice these little things. Like she noticed that he makes too much noise when he eats and they both are expressing these feelings of dissatisfaction to one another without getting any response. And both of them might even be feeling a little bit bored. So now at this point in the relationship, if they separate for any reason, for any length of time, it might actually end the relationship. If either one of them meets someone else, it can end abruptly. Otherwise, it'll probably slowly, slowly move in a bad direction over a period of months until someone says, you know, we need a break or this is over. They may get back together again really briefly. But at this point, they've completely fallen out of love. Now, it's important to remember in this example, like we have Timmy, the guy and Jane, the girl, but you could easily flip these or have a same sex couple. It's kind of all all the same, regardless of gender and regardless of sexuality. So either person can develop problems with their partner's parents or friends. Either is just as likely to be jealous. Either can be the first to lose interest in sex and so on and so on. Now, of course, most dating relationships are not characterized by falling in love in the first place. Most are not emotionally charged and breaking apart leaves no mark. But someone who has been in love can pine for the other person off and on for years. And what's really happening is you're not just remembering the other person, but also the way they used to be themselves when they were feeling good, when they were exhilarated and loving and everything was great. So that is kind of the process of falling in and falling out of love. All right. So before we get back to the movie, I wanted to talk about this scientifically as well. So I saw I saw another article that is talking about like how we fall out of love. Like, do we have some built in mechanism for ending romantic relationships? 
So love, we can say, I think, with a lot of certainty, is pretty universal. Every society has romantic traditions, and the, and the desire to form a long and lasting love with another human being is apparently this kind of intrinsic part of being human. But while monogamy seems to be the ideal for most people, attaining that ideal is easier said than done. So like it or not, humans are not likely to stay with one romantic partner for their entire lives. No matter how the society at large chooses to, de chooses to define marriage, nearly half of all such partnerships will end in divorce. And this is not just modern society. According to David Buss, a researcher, he said that hunter-gatherer societies are also prone to divorce. For example, one member of a, of a society in Paraguay reports as many as 11 marriages by the time they reach adulthood. For whatever reason there is, most romantic relationships are going to come to an end, whether harmoniously or acrimoniously. So we understand love is fragile. We talked about that in the last article, but it can be difficult to understand exactly why a romantic relationship comes to an end. For most people... This would be a traumatic experience, especially if you're caught unaware that the relationship is about to end. The shock and anger that can result from a bad breakup can actually take years to work through, and learning to move on is really tough. So of course there's a lot of research into the psychology of romantic love, but not so much into what causes us fall out of love. But there's an article published in the Review of General Psychology that suggests that humans may actually have a mental mechanism in place for severing the emotional bond between romantic partners. And uh, the researchers called it the mate rejection module. But evolutionary psychologists for a long time have said that the ability to end a relationship and prepare for a new one has huge advantages in improving the, a person's ability to reproduce successfully. Some species do mate for life, but humans typically don't. So, of course, there are, there are huge differences across cultures and at different periods of time. So it makes it difficult to pin down how this mate rejection module would actually work. Not only some cultures uh, allow multiple marriages, but in other cultures, ending a marriage is really, really difficult. Even with casual relationships that don't involve formal declarations, moving on from one person to the next one can still be really tricky. So in that review I was talking about, um, the author Bootwell um, suggests that there can be separate mechanisms at work. First is what they called primary mate ejection, or the active decision to reject a mate, and then secondary mate ejection, which involves coming to terms with being rejected and reaching the point to where a new romantic pairing is possible. There are significant differences between men and women in terms of where and when this mate ejection is activated. When dealing with infidelity, for example, men and women tend to react very differently, depending on how serious the infidelity is considered to be. So in evolutionary terms, men are more sensitive to the possibility of raising someone else's child. They may be less prone to forgive sexual infidelity in women. Now, on the other side of this, women seem less prone to forgiving emotional infidelity, such as when a partner falls in love with another person, rendering him no longer safe in terms of supporting either her children or her. Lots of studies examining how willing men and women are to forgive infidelity appear to support this gender difference. The kind of resources that a woman has and the opportunities within the culture in which she lives can also affect how willing she is to get rid of her mate. If she can support herself, the decision to leave is much easier than if she might be left poor following a split. But here's the neuroscience side of it. So in this study that I mentioned, they examined neurological, neurological underpinnings of romantic love, including fMRI studies showing that many of the brain pathways linked to being in love are very similar to pathways linked to addiction. These pathways will include the orbitofrontal and prefrontal cortex and the ventral striatum, and all of these involve reward and pleasure in the brain. This love-addiction link also helps explain the acute distress people feel when they are rejected by a romantic partner. 
as well as why some unbalanced people end up kind of stalking their their ex-partners because they cannot let go of either romantic feelings or connectedness, whatever it may be. So while the feeling associated with mate ejection does resemble drug withdrawal in many ways, both of these primary and secondary mate ejections take place after a gradual process of overcoming these feelings and preparing the brain for bonding to a new person. Once the mate ejection recurs, parts of the prefrontal cortex begin the process of learning to prepare for a new romantic interest. But there are still unanswered questions about this mate ejection. Is it the same for gay and straight relationships? Early studies do suggest that it is, but it's still open to debate. And then there's the debate of how we can measure this mate ejection. Can the same brain pathways that seem to be involved in romantic love be linked to the decision to end a relationship? And what about obsessive love? Could understanding more about this mate ejection help with the treatment of people who end up stalking their ex-partners? So all these questions are potential areas for future research. And of course, there are pairings of, quote unquote, till death do us part. But for whatever reason, most romantic relationships will eventually come to an end. And if you want to go, if you want to take it all the way to the end, every relationship will come to an end, whether in the breaking up of a relationship or in one partner's death. Whether the breakup that ends a relationship is mutual or one-sided, we all do have the capacity to move on to someone else, even if coping with that heartache and disappointment can be overwhelming at times. So in terms of our movie, I think it's I think it's interesting because I think one of the people in this film is ready for this kind of mate ejection process and the other isn't. And it would be interesting if we were able to follow them for years afterwards to see how they adjusted. And Andrew uh, from AB Film Review and I will talk about that when we come back from a little break and then we'll talk about Blue Valentine. All right, so we're back to talk about the movie. It's finally ta- time to talk about Blue Valentine. So, as always, what is your what is your history with this movie? Like, how many times have you seen it? Did you see it in the theater when it came out? Yeah, so Bernadette and I saw it in the theater, and the viewing for this episode was the second time that I saw it, um, mostly because the first time that I saw it was one of the biggest arguments that we've had <laughs> about a film ever. Um, Bernadette absolutely hates it when you had asked me to, to you know, if both of us would like to do this this uh, episode, said, I'll gladly do it, but Bernadette will not. She refuses <laughs> to pass. watch that film nope. again. <laughs> She's not as lenient, and so yeah, I I had feelings about it. Um, it's it's a difficult watch, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I was at the right stage of my life to watch that because we'd only been married for two years at that point. Mm-hmm. So my opinion of what relationships were has certainly changed in the past few years. And I'm not, you know, that's not a reflection on my own relationship, but it's just a case of. That's just you learn more as you've been in a relationship for a longer period of time from the film yeah. than you would do if you haven't been in a relationship, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. Like for me, I totally missed this when it came out. Of course, I heard about it because people like lost their mind about it, whether good or bad. Like some people really, really despise this movie and other people really mm. loved it, but also said, I'll never watch it again. Like it, like you said, it's a, it's a difficult watch and that's pretty much – Anybody I brought this movie up to was like, ooh, wow, I don't know if I could watch that again. Like that was their immediate reaction. So of course I'll just call Andrew and be like, hey, you'll you'll watch anything. Hey, let's let's do <laughs> I'll this. Watch it, yeah. <laughs> um, so this was this was a first watch for me. Um and you bring up a really interesting point about kind of where you are in your relationship and in your life and how that can change how you see this movie. I think 
it's interesting. It is a difficult watch, but I don't think it was as difficult for me as it has been for most people. Um, mm-hmm. Like it really affected me, but I wasn't, I didn't walk away from it going like, oh God, I never, I never want to watch that again. That was really brutal. And I think some of it, and you know, of course, who knows how true this is? Cause it's just my experience, but I feel like some of it might be, it's dependent on how many really bad relationships you've been in. Cause I've been in some that are like borderline abusive uh, yeah. from the other side. So I think seeing something like this play out is not as dramatic and awful for me. Whereas if you've, you know, kind of towed the line in the quote unquote, whatever this means, quote unquote, normal relationships. And mm. yeah, you break up with somebody, but it's not like the end of the world. It's not like this knockdown, drag out, horrific, say all the horrible things you you think but would never say type fights. If you haven't been through that, I could see how this would be like shocking and galling and just really hard to watch. But for me, at some level, it made me really kind of happy that I was out of bad relationships and in a good one. If that makes yes. sense, you know, yeah, so, yeah. so I walked away from it going like, yeah, sometimes relationships are fucked up. You know, it's like the most hurtful things you'll probably ever say in your life or experience in your life are with someone that at one point that you loved because, you know, mm. you know, all their weaknesses, they know all yours. And when you've kind of gotten to that point where, OK, that's it, I'm just going to let it all fly. Some really rough stuff can happen. Uh, but I didn't have that same reaction of like, oh, God, I don't ever want to go through this again. Like I ended up watching it twice. Like I really enjoyed it. And I and I think the performances are top notch, which we'll get to uh, in the acting uh, portion of the show. But but I really enjoyed my time. Yeah. So uh, so let's just kind of jump into the direction here. Uh, this is uh, Derek C. in France, who I have to say I am totally kind of unaware of. Um, like I know some of the movies he's made, but I haven't seen any of them. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like The Place Beyond the Pines is still kind of on my list to watch. And really, that's kind of it, because a lot of stuff is like TV work and short film documentary work. And Blue Valentine was, I guess, kind of his coming out party. Um, Yes. So so what did you think of his direction in this film? Uh, I mean, subtlety is not certainly part of his wheelhouse, that's for sure. (laughs) Oh, the (laughs) wedding ring. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Like, I... Just like you, this is the only film of his that I've seen. And on the strength of this film alone, I'm not really that keen on seeking out his other films. I know that Place Beyond the Pines is a well-regarded film. I think people appreciate it enough. But for me, I think that the directing gets in the way of a good story here. Hmm. And it's just that little bit too heavy-handed for me. Um, And if it weren't for the performances, I don't think that this would have been as good a film as it is. Uh, I think that it is, it is a good film, but it's just, it's brought down by those. So, you know, he, he really dictates how you're supposed to be feeling by including, you know, specific music and, and stuff like that. And, you know, the way that he shoots the film in some ways is just so I get what he's trying to do with the up close cinematography and stuff like that. But I think that that is probably just, I wanted a little bit more distance and it's not distance because I was too close to the characters. It was just distance because I didn't get a good enough perspective of, of what they were, what I could read their emo, hmm. you know, I could, I couldn't read the emotions on their faces essentially. Huh. And I think that that came from a, a place of being just a poor direction. 
Hmm. from my perspective at least see it's really interesting uh, this is why i love talking about movies and talking to you in particular is that we can take the same exact thing and come on the other on opposite sides because i love the close camera work it's my favorite part of its direction because i think mm-hmm. it it's a really uncomfortable like, like we talked about it's a difficult set it's uncomfortable and he makes it even more uncomfortable like he is not going to hold your hand through this he's going to put you like you know, you can practically see up Ryan Gosling's nose in this movie. Like the scenes, especially when yeah. they're fighting, is really close. And for me, it put me in the situation and made me feel what these characters were feeling, especially when you combine it with those performance. So that's one of the things I really, really liked. But I do think you're right in the sense of his lack of subtlety. Like there's there's I think there's got to be three different scenes where one of them tries to hold the other one's hand and it's the hand with the wedding mm. ring and they pull it back. And I was like, yeah, I get it. They're married and they're fighting. We don't have to like zoom in on the gold wedding band quite so many times. Like it's not, yes. it's not so necessary. But I did Do like. Do you that, get what I'm trying to say here? Right. Do you understand that this is about marriage and right. relationships? <laughs> exactly. But I do like that the cinematography and a lot of other things changes depending on the time period we're looking at. Like. All the stuff in, I guess, for lack of a better term, modern day is very close. But then when you look at the flashbacks, it's shot kind of, quote unquote, like a normal movie. You know, so I like that there's this drastic difference. So even if you just walked in, you would know that these things are happening at two different times, which I think yes. some movies fail at miserably. Um, like I saw last year, uh, The Secret in Their Eyes. Um, and mm-hmm. that movie failed at that, like just horribly. Like they tried to do it with kind of hairstyle and hair color, which this movie does as well, but it's so much more drastic. So you can't not notice it. Like when you have Ryan Gosling with a full head of hair and Ryan Gosling balding, like it's a very drastic thing. So you know immediately, oh, this is not where we were a couple minutes ago. I get that it's. I mean, we'll go into more in production design, but for me, the the bald Ryan Gosling, besides looking physically unattractive um whatever I, I he can still that that get was, it uh it's fine i don't know <laughs> no problem even with those glasses and balding good to go but i i did think you know they've been together what six years or so i i did feel that that was a bit too excessive um like it just it just felt like yeah okay i get that the marriage has taken a toll on him so much to the point that he's gone half bald in that period of time sometimes like people goes, sometimes people go bald quickly it happens <laughs> maybe i don't know i don't hang around enough bald people but i just it's are you too good for them andrew is that <laughs> i don't hang around Look, those I've, people I've been listening to War Machine versus War Horse too much and the anti-boldness on that show. There's a lot of it. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I think Mike did an episode on the show and that was like the most horrific part to him is Ryan Gosling (laughs) losing his hair. He just could not deal. Um, I I also think in terms of direction, you know, of course, some of this is performance and so much of it is because this is basically just a movie about two people. Like everyone else is kind of ancillary to the plot. But there's a there's a scene with them in in them them in the hotel um, where they're kind of trying to make things work. And he's you know, he's trying to be sexual with her and you can see her fist clench on the on Mm. on kind of the side of her body like she doesn't want to show him 
that she's not enjoying this, but she's like trying to hold back like this rage and this disappointment and everything that goes into this relationship. And I thought that that scene was just tremendously well blocked and it just it felt very real and also felt very kind of emotionally raw and I loved it. See, I agree that it felt emotionally raw, but it goes back to the fact that for me, I felt that that was more to do with the performances than anything else. Yeah, but isn't isn't the goal of a great director to to get those great performances out of your actors? Uh, I mean, yes and no. I'm going to get you to say something nice about this guy. (laughs) It's going to (laughs) happen. Look, I think that he did he did a good job. I just think that it's probably. For me, I just felt it was a little too heavy-handed is all. And I think that, yeah, okay, the staging is good. But in such a limited space, it's, it's you know, you, you're not given much to work with. But I think that I do think that he is lifted up as a director by the, the quality of the performances with Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams. Yeah. That, that's for sure. I, I think that that is the key. And, you know, just going on one film alone – it's hard to say the quality of him as a director, but and of course I really should seek out his other films to gauge it, to see if he's improved along the way. And I think he will do because he he does seem to be working with some very talented people. So he's attracting that, <laughs> no that aspect. Yeah, I mean some, some great, great people. So I hope that he's learning along the way and improving. Um, you, Derek, see in France, you know. I feel like you're just patting him on the head. Like, oh, you did all right, kid. <laughs> a lot of room well, to grow, but you're okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> this is you nice. That's that's interesting. Um, the only other thing I wanted to mention is there is a really interesting thing I noticed. And who knows, of course, how much of this is scripted and how much of this is, you know, just the actors kind of acting on their own. But there's like two sequences of hair pulling in this movie uh and i love that they mean totally different things like there's a scene in the flashback where it looks like you know if not their first time one of their first times and and she's like she's pulling his hair as she's enjoying herself and then there's Mm -hmm. there's the scene in the hotel where she keeps kind of yanking on his head and he keeps like kind of reacting really poorly and it's like you're hurting me what's wrong with you that leads to almost this physical confrontation and this movie if anything if it's about anything it's about dichotomy. It's about oh, yeah. like how the same things can feel very different when you when you put six years between them. And I like that. And I think he did that with the music too, although I know you felt like it, it was a little too heavy-handed. I liked that you had that dichotomy there too, and it was like present throughout the movie. And I think that was a very hmm. uh, pointed choice by the director to have a bunch of sequences that looked familiar, but yet you could tell how different they were. Yeah, and I do think that, as you're saying, that dichotomy between the relationships and the way that people are is very evident in the film. And I think that is one of the main strong points for this film. And that's more to do with the script than than anything else. But I think that you were so close. You were so close. (laughs) Hey, he he was one of the three writers on this film. There you go. So that's a that's another tick in his book. Good job, Derek. You you almost made it. All right. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to probably the most important part, which is the acting. Um, so, of course, uh, this film stars, we already mentioned Ryan Gosling, but also uh, Michelle Williams uh, as, you know, basically mm-hmm. the only other character that matters. Uh, so let's just start this off. We can kind of talk about them together because in pretty much every scene they are together. Um, so what did you mm. think of these two performances? For me, I think this is Michelle Williams' film, hands down. I think that... It is her story. Um, she is the blue Valentine. I think, I think that, 
because it doesn't you get more of a history of who she is as a person because you see her her parents and her family in that regard so for me i think that there is a greater through line for that p- particular aspect and i think she works so well i'm personally not the biggest ryan gosling fan i i honestly think right that <laughs> I I honestly think that he's not that great an actor. Um, what you know, I uh, yeah. Jesus, you, you wish you would have known that before you asked me. <laughs> Canceling this episode, just moving on. <laughs> but I think that he's really, really solid here. I think that he does some some very good work. Uh, that and I think that he, like Derek Sanfranc, is elevated by the great performance of Michelle Williams. I think that if you if they both didn't work, like if one of them was was not so great, then the relationship between the two would just not work at all. Right. And uh, I think that you know they, while he's not on the same level as she is, he certainly is trying to be there, and that that's noticeable. So you know, it's good. Good job, Brian. You, you're <laughs> <Jeez>. doing well. <laughs> you. You son of a bitch. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to agree with you on one thing before I disagree with everything else you just said. Uh, sure. the, the one thing is I think this is Michelle Williams movie. It is her story. We do get – she has more to do here. We get more of her background. Mm. She has more of kind of the poignant emotional moments in the film. I mean especially the – you know, the almost abortion scene is is probably for me the hardest part of the movie to watch because um, it feels it feels so real. And her her reaction in that moment is just utterly fantastic. Like every everything I heard about this movie is that the two performances are great, um, like the two lead performances. And that's what you really need to watch it for. And I totally agree with that. But I do yeah. disagree that Ryan Gosling, quote, is not on her level, which is a bunch of nonsense. Like he's fantastic <laughs> here. I think. I think in some ways he's playing a little bit of um a little bit of a take on what people think of him in real life. Charming, not much to him, all that, you know, all that background that you get with like kind of a movie star and what would go into being in a relationship with someone like that. Like he kind of starts off even when they're first flirting and dating as appearing kind of not serious about anything and just kind of like, no, I'm never getting married. I'm just going to do what I want. Everything's going to be fine. And then when you place him in this situation where all of a sudden he has to kind of stand up and quote unquote, like be a man and take care of his family. I think you see a little bit more depth in him in those moments, but that stuff wears thin over the six years Mm. when like, yes, he's being a good father. He's being a relatively good husband. He's, you know, he's working, he's doing all these things, but he's not living up to anything that he could be like, he could be doing so much more, which I think pains Michelle Williams character. Like as she watches him just kind of circle the drain of life, like just kind of like not doing anything. It kind of, you know, I think in some ways, I think she sees some of, some of her own weaknesses in her partner, which can be really painful. When you see like there are times when I don't want to do anything and I just want to give up and I see him kind of doing that. It like it makes you kind of reflect on yourself and be like, oh, God, what am I doing with my own life? Well, this is a guy who his the you know, the high point of his day and thinking that he has a good life is the ability to crack open a beer at eight o'clock in the morning. Breakfast. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) when Cindy says to him, you know, that's not a good life. That's not something positive and his response is well you know I, it's great i can do that and then i can head into work and have a have a nice day and then come home and be with you <laughs> and you know th- i think that's the the 
really interesting aspect of Dean as a character is that he is somebody who sees positives in every situation. And yeah. while that sounds good, that is really, really frustrating and tedious because as you're saying, it wears thin over six years of marriage. It wears thin because you can't have somebody continually going, hey, look, we'll be all right. We'll be fine. There's no problems. Hey, it's fine. I get to wake up in the morning and have a beer. It's okay. Because that is a very self-involved thing. And in a relationship, especially when there's a child, you have to work hard and you have to work for the other person's interests and the other person's gains rather than just being like, hey, it's perfectly fine, I'm doing okay. That's not a relationship. And for me, I think one of the most telling aspects of him as a character was when, you know, they're talking later on, Cindy wants to go to medical school and this is at the dinner with uh, Cindy's parents and he says, you know, school wasn't for me. I'm I'm not really interested in school. I, I left early. What was the point of it? And for me, it's the kind of like he's the epitome, as you're saying, he's, he is a, a bit of a turn on how people do see Ryan Gosling in the sense that they look at him as being almost like a hipster in a way. Yeah. And I think that people, you know, obviously the, one of the key things of being a hipster is I learn from the school of life <laughs> and yet, you know, I don't listen to the man. Actually, yeah. Don't bring me down that kind of thing. But <laughs> The, yeah. the critical thing is he never learns anything from situations that he's actually in. So he never learns from the school of life. He never learns right. from the arguments. So I think it yeah, can, it can a, even be argued. Character. It can even be argued that even when things go really wrong in this movie, I mean, the movie ends with them basically splitting up, you know, it's done. And mm. I don't think he's learned anything. No, <laughs> like he hasn't. I don't think he's been able to have the empathy to see things from her perspective and go like, oh, maybe I need to take a look at myself and figure out what I want to do with my life. Because, you know, if you look at it from like a macro level, like at some point, like he's kind of done everything you're quote unquote supposed to do in a relationship, you know, mm. like he took care of the kid. He's he's working, you know, he's. You know, he's there for his partner as much as he can. So like on this macro level, like he's a quote unquote good partner. But when you look at the micro level and all their interactions, like you said, he is very self-involved and just doesn't mm-hmm. want anything. He doesn't want to grow. He doesn't want and, – and him not wanting to grow becomes their relationship not growing either. So they're just like stuck in this rut and nothing happens and she wants more, not only for him – but for her as well, like she's always mm. she's always striving and he's always comfortable and he's not willing to meet her in the middle. So even walking away from this, all all he's learned is that, well, she she's the worst. Like that's, that's all he's kind of yeah. learned. And that's and he's kind of missed the point where I think Michelle Williams character, I think that's why it's so painful for her throughout this entire film is she can see things from Dean's perspective. And she gets where he's coming from. She just knows that it's not enough. But the thing is, is I think that Cindy as a character has never, she's never been valued in any of her relationships. Yeah. And you see that with the relationship with her dad. You see that with the relationship with the the boyfriend who's actually the father of the child. And, and he's a winner. He's, Jeez. Yeah. What a, <laughs> what a charmer, you know? And, <laughs> and I think that that kind of goes back to, I get why he is such a terrible person because you have to dislike him, but 
he's just a little bit too terrible to like it's I, I really hope that there's nobody in, in the world like that. I'm sure there are, but I <laughs> hope there aren't because he's such a such an awful person. And that's what that's what breaks my heart about the character of Cindy is that she's drawn to people like that. And then when Dean comes into her life, he looks like the the knight in white shining armor. He yeah, is a breath like of fresh guy. air. Yeah. Yeah. He can play a ukulele. Great. I've never met somebody who can do that before. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And so it seems like a positive relationship, but of course it's the same relationship that she's always been in her in her life. And that's really heartbreaking. It's sad. And I think Michelle Williams really sells it and, and does a stunning job. And I, I do wonder, only because the film, obviously it was released in 2010, but given the way that films are made, uh, obviously this probably would have been filmed a year and a half, two years beforehand. And so part of me does wonder if a lot of it has to do with the fact that she was probably still grieving from the loss of Heath Ledger. Because yeah. that occurred in 2007, 2008. So Especially given that they that have a daughter in. and these characters have a daughter. Like there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of crossover yeah. there, which is I didn't even think about. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I think Michelle Williams, in a lot of ways, for me, I, we come from different places on Ryan Gosling. But she was so mm-hmm. impressive to me here because I had never really enjoyed her in films before like i'm looking at her yeah i've never been a big fan maybe it was because you know the first thing i saw her in was dawson's creek and i've been forever colored uh by that character but as i look at imdb like she's got like kind of a great interesting uh filmography like been a lot of interesting movies synodoc new york uh take Mm -hmm. this waltz my week with Marilyn. she's going to be in manchester by the sea later this year so she makes it seems like a lot of really good interesting choices you know oz the great and powerful aside uh she's made (laughs) she's made some good choices but this is the first time i was really i guess really on her side uh as a character so i was really kind of bonded to her really quickly uh and i just thought her performance here was was phenomenal and way beyond what i expected like people did say these are great performances but you know I was actually talking to people on on Twitter about this, how there's certain actors and actresses like that beyond reason people will despise. Like we all have our people who were just like, I can't stand them in movies like, yeah, you know, Eddie Redmayne. Yeah. yeah, you have Eddie Redmayne. You know, I have Jesse Eisenberg. Like it's <laughs> there's, you know, like no matter what you do, like, nope, not going to impress me. And for a while, I kind of thought of Michelle Williams that way. But this kind of completely hijacked that that thought process because she was so phenomenal here like i'm a big Uh, gosling fan but i do think she's really impressive here in my opinion she is one of the great modern actresses i i think that she continually blows me away um especially in two films specifically which is uh wendy and lucy and meek's cutoff i think she does phenomenal work as well as take this waltz as well so i i i'm always blown away by her work and yeah, it surprises me that you're you're not a huge fan so i do hope that you do seek out it, it um, might change it might change after yeah. seeing this honestly the last thing i want to mention as far as acting is so here's the thing that's really impressive about both of them to me i'm not going to say it's easy uh but it's easier to either play two people at each other's throats or two people who are falling in love mm-hmm. to do both in the in the span of a two hour movie and for it to be so convincing 
is really impressive and something you don't see very often. So the two of them together really work, both in that kind of wooing stage and in that kind of breakdown of the marriage stage. And I think there's not a single moment in this film between them that like hits a false note. Like it all feels earned and it feels like even though you haven't been, it feels like you've been there for the six years with them. Yes. Yeah, I agree. It does feel like a relationship that has that has, um, you know, spanned a period of time. That's for sure. It's it's definitely a relationship that, yeah, you you get that feeling that it's lived in essentially. And that's not right. easy because, no. uh, you know, to display somebody who is falling in love and then somebody who has fallen out of love. Uh, they're both very different emotions and yeah, it's a, it's a testament to their work here that they pull it off. Yeah. Absolutely. It's impressive. Hmm. All right. Uh, so let's jump into the screenplay. So you said that this, uh, this movie was buoyed by uh, great acting and great writing uh, for the director. <laughs> so what did you think of the screenplay? Look, I think that, I think the writing is quite good. It's, it's intelligent writing. And, you know, my first feeling uh, after watching it again was that, this feels like it was written by a group of people who were all in some really terrible relationships and just wanted to get it out and scream. Right. Yeah. Get the poison out. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and first of all, I'd, I'd written that down as a note is as, as a negative. And then after thinking about it for a few days, I was like, no, actually that's, that's quite a positive thing. Um, in the sense that it's not easy to actually translate a relationship like this and make it believable on screen. And there's, uh, I don't think that there are any lines in this film that feel excessively scripted or feel excessively manufactured or anything like that. It, they all feel like natural lines that people would actually say. Mm. And that's a difficult thing to do because it, especially with this subject matter. Yeah. It would be so easy to put in something about, you know, something that feels like, ah, I've been working on this line for days and it really sets the, the scene and stuff like that. But there's nothing there. There's a lot of, it's dialogue that's fueled to, you know, that helps fuel the, the, the arguments. It helps fuel the, the romance. And that's really impressive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really good script. Yeah, I think there's only one line to me that stands out as overly scripted, but I don't even think of it as a negative because it's – I think it works so well within the movie. But if you, like, look at it in a vacuum, like, uh, our main character has – is talking to her grandmother, I think it is, mm -hmm. and she asks, how do I trust my feelings if they just go away? And that is that is a very scripted line and it is very much kind of the the crux of this movie. You know, it, mm. it, it's it's everything about their relationship and it is scripted, but it also really works. It doesn't sound like something no one would ever say, but it does sound like something three people came up with and not like that just flew out of someone's mouth. Like it does feel yeah. scripted, but it's actually one of my favorite moments in the film. And and kind of at that moment, I in a lot of ways, I knew where this was going and just kind of like, oh, man, mm. this sucks because it's even before <laughs> she meets Dean that she says this yeah, and then she meets Dean and she gets swept up and she kind of forgets about, and like we all do when we're in relationships and then they end, we, you know, in order to survive and move on to a new relationship, we, in a lot of ways, sometimes we forget 
all the terrible feelings, all the terrible days and nights of bad relationships so we can have a new good relationship. And I think she forgets mm. when she meets Dean because he wins her over. He's charming. You know, he plays an instrument. He's willing to go after her. He's willing to do the hard work of wooing her when at first she's like very much very distant and very pushing him and pushing him away a lot. And he's willing yeah. to he's willing to put in the effort. And I think that kind of wins her over and she forgets for for a moment that. You know, she can't even trust her own feelings if you look at her relationships with men, not just romantically, but familial as well. It is a little bit creepy the way that he does woo her, though, in the sense that, you know, he he waits a month and then goes back to see that guy and then finds out from, you know, the grandma that she'd just been and stuff like that and somehow manages to hop on the same bus as her and just the way that he talks to her there is where's your sense of romance where's your sense of romance andrew look at the lengths he goes to just to talk to her yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i mean i guess i'm i'm colored by the relationship um having now seen swiss army man and the relationship (laughs) i was just thinking about that actually you know and it's just like i don't know i catch public transport every day to go to work and for me, I just could never imagine seeing somebody come along and sit next to a stranger and try and pick them up. It just – it does feel unnatural, but that just goes back to showing what kind of character Dean is, is that he is the, the positive character. He sees no negative aspect of what he's doing or what he's saying in that bus right. up until the point where he says something that's creepy and Cindy turns to him and says – or uh, you know, gives him this look, and then Dean's response is, "Well, yeah, okay, that that sounds a little bit creepy. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way, you know." And he's the kind of guy who says something before actually thinking about what it means. And right, yeah, that conversation on the bus is actually one of my favorite moment, moments in the movie. It's, I think, it's where, as an audience, where you fall in love with both of these characters. Do you want to live like that? Like what? At home? Yeah. Well, no, but I'm not getting it. Like, he's oh, a really? dummy for dying. Oh, Walter's a dummy for dying. Yeah. What are you going to do, wise guy? Not do it. You're going to die? Definitely. Hmm? What'd you say? You said definitely. What was that kind of attitude? Don't do it. It's for suckers. Don't do it. What are you going to do? Just not do it. I went out there to give him this. Isn't that nice? I found it. Is that him? Yeah, and his lady. Isn't he handsome? Look at her, she's so pretty. So she's probably nuts then. In my experience, the prettier a girl is, the more nuts she is. Which makes you insane. You're probably nutty, cuckoo, crazy. It's not your fault, you know? It's just like everybody treats you different, you know? Like you make jokes and they're not funny, but people laugh anyway, and it's gotta make you nuts. I like how you can compliment and insult somebody at the same time, in equal measure. What's an insult about that? That I'm crazy and I'm not funny? Well, I don't know if you're not funny. Tell me a joke. So there's a child molester and a little boy walking into the woods. Child molester and the little boy keep walking further and further and it's getting darker and darker and they're going deeper and deeper into the woods and the child molester the little boy looks up at the child molester and he says, Gee, mister, I'm getting scared. And the child molester looks down at him and says, You think you're scared, kid? I gotta walk out of here alone. 
You don't think that's funny? It would be one thing if it, he was just being smooth and she was won over. But I love that she, you know, even from the very beginning, will call him on his shit. You know, when he says something creepy, she'll just kind of give him that look like, seriously, man, you can't you can't say things like that. And, <laughs> and that interaction feels very real. It feels like something that two people would do. Um, I think that yeah. the most impressive part of the writing to me is kind of how the film is structured. I mean, it would be – it's always something I think of when you have movies like this where it goes back and forth between time. Like how different would this movie be if we watched it in order temporally? Like if we mm. just watch from the beginning all the way to the end because it actually – it provides a lot more challenges for the audience and for the actors to have these scenes of happiness and almost giddiness. Like if you look at that scene of him playing the ukulele and her singing and dancing, like it is like way over the top and silly and fun and you can see these two people falling in love. But to kind of contrast that with a scene right before that where they're at each other's throats and they can't stop fighting, it's it's really mm. challenging for an audience to be like, oh, am I supposed to hate this guy or love this guy? I don't know where I stand and really neither does she. So it puts you firmly in her thought process as well, which I think is just, you know, you it's like from a writing perspective, it's really, really impressive. But that's the thing is it, it, it you know, to further what you're saying, it, it depicts what marriage can be like. Yeah. You are supposed to be in love with this person, but there are days when you, you're just you know, not, you, you could, <laughs> you could, yeah, it, it just simply is not there. And I like the way that it's structured in the sense that, you know, it flicks back between falling in and out of love because it's, it feels very natural that way, like an ebb and flow. And it's, it's an interesting, uh, you know, pinpoint where they both meet at the end in the sense that, you know, where he finds out that she's pregnant. And I, I think that that is, again, it's just a great written scene because of the way yeah. that he's like, I'm going to throw myself over the bridge. And it just goes back to what a self-centered person is because he doesn't think about, you know, maybe something that she wants to say is a pretty terrible thing. Right. I mean, not saying that she, her being pregnant is terrible, but maybe it is. But it's stressful <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> And yet he treats it like it's a joke, like, hey, it's no big. I'm not actually going to throw myself off here, but hey, look, I want this information and that seems to be the only way I'm going to get it. Yeah, but I think there's one moment, really probably only one moment in this movie where he's he he gets his selfishness in check. And that's when he kind of tells her, like, why don't we just be a family like that scene on the bus, which is really heartwarming. And again, gives Mm. you a moment of like, oh, this is why she cares about this guy. This is why she loves this guy, because when it when it comes to that point, when it comes to like, we have to make a choice, he chooses her. And that's something that no one else has done in her life. Um, so I think it's it's really well written because with a weaker script, that scene wouldn't make sense. But in this movie, it's really moving. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. I There's more to touch on regarding the theme at a, at a later stage regarding yeah. that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so. for sure. All right. So let's jump into uh, production value really quick. There's not a lot here. This is not exactly, you know, a special effects heavy movie. Uh, we talked about the hair. That's that's the thing that like is <laughs> the best for production value in here to me. Like it it's it's interesting because we have especially with big movie stars like especially I think Ryan Gosling is probably the bigger star at this point. Uh, Mm. in this movie and we have like a certain view of him and how he looks and how he walks and how he holds himself and 
it's there's a lot of like actually pretty good physical acting as he gets older in this movie like the way he walks changes the way he carries himself the kind of lack of charm that he exhibits uh in those scenes yeah. and, and a lot of that it's also really like the the balding is really convincing like if you if you like if ryan gosling ever goes bald that's what it's gonna look like so you know <laughs> i liked that 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 was in place and it gave us a nice shortcut to know where we are yeah that that works quite well the the element of production design that I think really works well is the use of the color blue here. I think that oh, that's yeah. a really great point. Like it's it, visually, it's it's quite a striking film because because of that use of color blue and the, because of the the sadness that kind of drapes over the whole entire yes, film, especially that and, scene in the hotel where it's just bathed mm. in blue and everything is awful. And no matter how hard they try, it's like that sadness is just ever present and will not go away. This design there is really, really crazy because I do wonder if those kinds of hotels are common or genuinely exist because yeah, it's, it's frightening. Yeah. But the way that it's draped in blue works so well and, relates to their relationship just wonderfully and Mm -hmm. it would be so easy to shoot this film as a normal drama and it would be fine but i think that the the way that it's shot and the way that it looks helps out with that so much more because you are essentially you know you're you're getting not just a regular drama the look of the film reflects the characters and that's impressive i think that's really really good that almost Uh, sounds like a compliment for the direction Better be careful. (laughs) Hey, well, who's the cinematographer on this film? Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to look it up for you. I refuse. (laughs) All right. uh, So let's jump into uh, favorite scenes. So actually, one of my favorite scenes is pretty early in the movie, and it's the kind of jealousy fight in the car after she like you know leaves the the grocery store, and Bobby Ontario was talking to her, and I thought like this was such a a great. like kind of a great viewing of how ridiculous jealousy is and can be. And yet in some circumstances in relationships, it's like kind of beyond a person's control in that moment. And there's like nothing she can say to make him feel better. And she actively attempts to make him feel better. Like saying, ah, you don't have to worry. The guy's overweight. You'd feel much better if you saw him. And he's like, why, why would that make me feel better? Like that scene really works for me and it's really uncomfortable. And for, for a movie to just have two characters to kind of immediately paint one of the characters in this really negative light. Cause you never look as stupid as when you're being jealous. Like that is, that's a bad look for anybody. So like to do that right away uh, is pretty gutsy, uh, especially considering it's a movie about a relationship. So you don't want it to be so one-sided that you only care about one of the characters. Mm. And the thing I like about that as well is that, you know, one of the lines that she says is, uh, you know, oh, you should have seen him. He looks so fat. And right. it's like, and, you know, we've obviously seen him. He doesn't look that, he doesn't look fat. Right. But it's the way that she's saying it to make him feel better with his jealousy. Okay. That's a really difficult thing. And, you know, when I was thinking of favorite scenes per se, <laughs> like I, <laughs> You know, I'm like, at the end of it, I'm like, fuck, I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> but I think the best scene for me is probably the scene where they've, you know, she gets called in to, to work after their night in the hotel mm. and he doesn't know where she's gone. So goes and accosts her at her, her oh, work. Brutal. And 
it's a very brutal scene and it's a very difficult scene to watch because it again goes back to how naive he is as a character that he would come and do that. You know, even though she had said to him, I'm on call that night. So, well, he's selfish. Like you said, he probably doesn't even remember until exactly. Yeah. But I think that the acting in that scene from both people involved is, it's just phenomenal there. And it's a, it's a very powerful scene and obviously very explosive and violent. I think there's just two more things I wanted to mention. One one thing I didn't mention in the writing is I think it's also a really smart decision, his interactions with his child, which are so wonderful and he's such a great dad, but it really highlights how childish he is and how immature he is. Like, of course, he relates to this kid better than anyone else in his life, including his wife, because he, there's no pressure there. He, gets, he just gets to have fun and play games and eat cereal off the table. Like it just – at the beginning, you're like, oh, he's such a good dad. But by the end of the movie, those interactions, you're kind of like – at least for me, I'm on Michelle Williams' side and I'm kind of sick of it. Like I'm like, grow up. Mm. Like, And it just shows you clearly how immature he is. But oddly, there is a point at the film – like at the beginning where she goes to stay with the granddad, the daughter goes to stay with the granddad and he says to her, you know, essentially, do you remember how to resuscitate him if he passes out, which I I completely forgot about. And for me, that's the only point in the film that he's generally cared about somebody else. Right. And it's for another man. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You you know, in case he dies. True. (laughs) that's that's really strange yeah and yeah yeah the last thing i want to talk to is talk about is, of course is that last scene where she's finally completely had it and is going to mm. end it regardless of the fact that they have a kid and that that scene bet- between them in the kitchen i think is really moving and kind of a stirring performance on both ends and on hers a much more subtle performance because she's not the one kind of crying and screaming and not being able to deal with it because she's finally reached that point where she's in a lot of ways kind of calm because she's Mm. made her decision as painful as it is. She's like, okay, this is what has to be done. You know, it's not just us. We got a little girl we got to think about. I know. I am thinking about her. I can't do this anymore. Maybe you're just thinking about yourself. What about Frankie? You wanted to grow up in a broken home. Is this how you wanted to grow up? I don't want her to grow up in a home where her parents treat each other like this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Baby, I'm sorry. I can't do this anymore. I know. Baby, I'm just fighting, you know, fighting for my family. I don't know what to do. I don't know what else to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. Tell me how I should be. I don't know. Just tell me. I'll do it. I'll do it. I don't know what to say. I'm so sorry. I don't know what else to do. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Just tell me. We're not good together. We're not good anymore. The way that that we treat each other. Don't say that. I can't stop. You can't stop. I can't stop. I don't know what else to do. I can't stop. I can't stop. No. Oh, no. No. Just come here. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. No, 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 no. You said for better or worse. You said that. You said it. It was a promise. 
Now this is my worst. Okay, this is my worst. But I'm gonna get better. You just gotta give me a chance to get better. But his like line reading of tell me what to do in that scene is heartbreaking. Like, despite mm. the fact that through the whole movie, I'm on her side and he's being a little mature and uh, uh, like he needs to live up to his potential, all that stuff. When you see like how much he cares, especially about his daughter and about keeping this family intact. And he at that point, he thinks he's willing to do anything like he truly believes that. I don't think that he can, <laughs> but I think he believes that. And that moment is really kind of it's heart wrenching. I, but I think that unless he's you're Andrew, it. unless you're Andrew, he's like, fuck Ryan Gosling. Don't care about your well, tears. No, because I think that he's only just saying that because it's the thing that he should say at that moment. I think that he's saying it to make it feel like, all right, if I say this and ask her to tell me what to do, then that's the right response. And she'll tell me what to do and I'll get better. Well, and that's and been their whole, that's been their whole relationship. Mm. Right. It's her exactly. telling him what what he should do. You know, if you take out the moment in the film where he says, let's be a family, that's really the only moment where he has agency in the relationship. And that's not her fault. He's he doesn't want agency. Like he just wants no. to kind of float through life and do his own thing, man, like whatever. Um, so but it makes sense to me that he would in this moment, even when she's telling him kind of to get lost, like this relationship is over in many, many ways. He still is turning to her and saying, tell me what to do, because that's all he knows. Well, exactly. Because the thing is, is that, as he says, he never wanted a family. He never wanted a wife. Right. He was just happy to be a guy sitting on the street playing a ukulele, that kind of thing. Right. And that's that's fine. But, it, you know, when he falls into a relationship, he realizes that that is what he he may want, and I'm not sure that even though he says it's what he wants, I'm not sure he actually commits to the emotion behind what he's saying. That's I don't valid. think he ever yeah. does. And I, I think that he just feels like because he's in this position, he has to say these things to keep the peace. And that's really that's really frightening. And I would I would I would definitely love to see where he ends up five yeah. years down the line. It would be really because interesting. I'm really curious sure. about that because I think that he is a character who would thrive when he realizes that he's free from the situation, and that's right. that's even more damning. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But and I, w- and I fear, uh, sorry, I fear that Cindy, you know, the last obviously that we see of her is standing there with her father, and we know the relationship that she has with him, and. There's right. a, a really wonderful moment where he leans in to put a hand on Sydney's shoulder, and I don't think she realizes he's going to do that, but she steps forward away from him. And I I hope that this is a point in her life at least that she is able to break free and do the right thing for herself and her daughter as well. And I think the key is, and this, this goes to the theme in a way, is that, you know, just because you are married and just because you have a kid doesn't mean that you have to stay together if the relationship doesn't work. Right. And she gets it. He doesn't. Right. And that's really powerful. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, so let's talk about that theme since you brought it up. So the theme, of course, is falling out of love. And I think it's it's something we see a fair amount in films, but not as much as the falling in love. Like that's the that's the Hollywood trope. And we and what's great about this movie to me is that we get both like that. That mm. scene with him playing the ukulele like that's that's adorable. Like that is that is straight out of every Hollywood movie you've ever seen with like like the quirky couple getting together and it all really works. But it's rare that we see both the falling in love and the falling out of love in, in the space of a two hour movie. And yeah. I think it really captures that feeling and think, you know, anyone who's an adult who's listening to this has fallen out of love at some point mm. because, you know, love is a really weird experience, a really weird emotion where, you know, at the beginning, everything that that person do does is like the coolest, best, most amazing, most attractive thing. And then sometimes you move forward in a relationship and, you know, you get more realistic about it, but it's in a good way. But sometimes you get more realistic about that person and it's in a bad way. And you can yeah. just as easily fall out of love as you did in love, which seems strange because it's such an intense emotion. Uh, but I think this film really captures it well. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it does really well that it shows people falling out of love. And it, I think the other thing that it does wonderfully as well is that it shows as you're going back to what you're saying about the dichotomy of their relationship, that she comes from a marriage where essentially the the husband and wife stayed together, even though it was a very abusive relationship. And he comes from a relationship where Bye. the parents didn't stay together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so naturally his frame of mind is, well, I don't want to be in a relationship where I leave my child. And so I'm going to do everything that I can to stay together even if it's at the detriment of the love between Cindy and myself in a way right whereas she doesn't see that she sees that if the relationship is toxic then they've the the only way is out and I think that's really impressive in the sense that you definitely get a great gauge of how she comes to that realization over the period of time of their relationship and it's really yeah, it's 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 a wonderful display of that because as you're saying, yeah, falling out of love isn't shown on on screen very often. And I guess it's not really shown in a way that is that feels so real. You know, too often if if somebody falls out of love, it might be you know, for some reason the film that comes to my mind is like something like How to Lose a Guy in Ten Ga- Ten Days or something like that. You know, and things like that in the sense that it's very much uh doesn't matter. I had no emotional connection with them whatsoever. Yeah, and, and the other part is kind of thing. the only thing we usually see is there's usually one dramatic event that makes people yeah. fall out of love in movies. Like somebody cheated on somebody. Oh, well, it's over because he betrayed me. And that's like kind of in terms of writing kind of an easy way out where it's just like, mm. oh, I can understand why you wouldn't want to be with that person anymore because look at what they did to you. But this is just the, you know, it's a thousand cuts. You know, it's over yep. this six year period of things not going right and him not getting his shit together and him not really, really being there and really being emotionally there for her. And it, it adds up. And I think, but the thing that's most interesting to me is kind of the human capacity to fall in love again after something like this. Because if you look at, if you look at our main character, um, she, at the beginning of the film says like, basically she doesn't trust her own feelings. They're just going to go away because mm. she's seen uh, her parents' mistakes, right? But Dean comes into her life and all that goes away. So it makes me wonder now that the six years with Dean are over, 
what happens next for her? Is she going to be yeah. willing to ignore that the, her feelings will just go away? Is she going to be willing to fall in love again? Like, I think she has the capacity to, but I, I think it's a mark of a really good movie when you wonder about where the characters go after the credits roll. And yeah. I think you get oh, that with both of these characters where you're like, man, what? there's so much damage here. What A lot of things could happen. I wonder where this goes. Mm. And I do wonder if she has, I think, as you're saying, I, I think she has the capacity to fall in love, but I think at this point in her life, she has been through so much that I, I think it will be a good five, 10 years before she ever does fall in love again or allows herself to fall in love. I right. think that she'd put more focus on herself and her daughter. And that is for me as a, you know, I love that character of Cindy and that's what I want for her. I want her to focus on herself because I think that's the best thing for her. Right. And it's something so, she's yeah. never really done, like except for that small period of time where she was in school, like she never really focused on herself. And I think it's, exactly. it's to her detriment for sure. Mm. Mm. All right. Uh, so I think we've covered the movie and covered the theme. So, uh, of course, let's talk about the movie coming out. Uh, that's also directed by that hack, according to Andrew, Derek C. and friends, uh, but also uh, adapted the novel that this is based on, The Light Between Oceans. And you talked about mm. great talent, uh, Michael Fassbender, Alicia Vikander, and Rachel Weisz. So that, I think, qualifies as great talent. And basically, I just, I just saw the trailer recently uh, when I went out to the movies. Looks like these two uh, are married or live together. Uh, have a child and the child dies at a very young age and then a baby washes up on shore because they are mm. they live at a lighthouse because why not uh they live at a lighthouse in western australia so you know yeah this should be right up well, your that's alley it. that's is that what happens in australia like babies just wash up on the shores is that <laughs> well not not since we had our boat turn back policy oh uh, well, thank goodness for that a few governments ago so <laughs> You know, those those stray babies that were on the oceans of You go stopped. to go to um, New Zealand, keep on keep on going. Exactly. <laughs> well yeah, I mean part of me I'm I'm quite keen on watching this film simply because obviously the talent involved I think is great. And right. uh obviously from this film the relationship of uh you know, Fassbender and Vikander in real life is Yeah, you know, this is sport. where it started, supposedly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will inter I will mention one of the things that Bernadette mentions um, is that she doesn't believe that the relationship started on this film. She believes that Alicia Vikander watched Shane. Ah, uh, well, you know, saw the talent of Michael Fassbender. <laughs> the talent, and Fassbender. yes. <laughs> and then Fassbender watched the Danish girl and saw the talent of Alicia Vikander <laughs> and said, "We have to do a film together and got to make this work." Romantically involved. So, <laughs> wow, you know. how cynical, man, Bernie. <laughs> Um, oh, you, that's it. you mentioned, you mentioned the talent here and honestly, that's the only reason I want to see this movie. Like if you just look at it from a kind of plot synopsis perspective, like I'm like, uh, you know, whatever, like it doesn't look bad, but it certainly isn't something that I would be running out to see like based mm. on that. But you got Fassbender, Vikander and Vice, who's one of my favorite actresses. Actually, I absolutely love even, even in movies that I don't like, like youth which I hated, which I know you were a fan of. I, I love Rachel Weisz, so I would watch it just for that. Um, and I also, I also, unlike you, like the director, uh, Derek C. in France, after, after seeing Blue Valentine. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of what he does next. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Well, hey. the thing that I find really interesting is that 
for a film that's supposed to be set in Western Australia was filmed in New Zealand. So, um, oh, is there really a difference? I mean, is that <laughs> if they're like the same, right? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, just a little less sheep than um, than than you know. But it's fine, whatever. But the other the other cast members as well that I'm really interested in seeing is um you know Jack Thompson, who's a great Australian actor. Brian Brown, there also another is. great Australian Jeez. actor. We couldn't but, get through the whole episode without you being like, check out these Australian actors. Well, that's it exactly. But one of the the actresses who's in it who. You know, one uh, final suggestion of a film that I recommend is she was in a film called In My Father's Den and it's the actress Emily Barclay. So I'm really keen on watching um, her in this film because she hasn't really done all that much. And personally, I think she's a really great actress. So, yeah, that's why I'm keen on seeing it. Besides the obvious talent of Vikander and Fassbender and Weiss. Yeah. You've got... Yeah, I mean, this movie does have pretty uh, high expectations for me just because of the talent and the time of year it's coming out. Like this is the kind of time for Oscar season to really kick into gear. Um, mm. So that's the only that's actually one of the only things that has me worried about it is movies like this that are I mean, it's pretty dramatic. You know, a baby washing up on shore looks like the the actual mother of the baby showing up to try and reclaim this child. Like it's pretty, it's pretty overdramatic and you might have some quote unquote Oscar moments in this movie, which may or may not ring true. So we'll see how that goes. But like you said, with everyone involved here, like I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, it. I'll definitely be seeing it and covering hmm. it on the show. All right. All right. So one more time, once you let people know how they contact you online. Um, so people can get in touch with me or Bendette online at AB Film Review or on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I also have Twitter account called The Last New Wave as well. But pretty much if you get in touch with this as 888, let me speak English, at AB Film Review, uh, that's where we'll essentially respond to you um, in some manner. Because we're on the other side of the world, it's usually twelve hours later. So yeah, if you tweet true. with us, we'll or we'll not get ignoring you. you or just yeah. asleep. Like it's fine. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> All right. Thank you one more time for joining us on the show. Thank you. You and me, you and me. Nobody baby but you and hey, hey, hey. You All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study. If you want to listen to more great shows, you should follow our network and go to followingfilms.com and check out other great shows like War Machine vs. War Horse and The Best and Worst of the Best. Also, you can follow me and contact me on Twitter. That's at PC Case Study. Or you can join our Facebook group. But if you want to really go the extra mile, you can go to patreon.com slash popculturecasestudy. And there you can donate on a per-episode basis. And you can even get rewards. So you can get... Uh, kind of a shout out on Twitter. You can get a shout out on the show. You can even be on the show if you donate enough per episode. And you'll also be helping out an independent podcast. Now, next time you hear me, hopefully I'll be doing a new release review of the movie we just talked about, which is The Light Between Oceans. So until then, I will be here diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch. There's no turning back and some advice. Two seconds. Sorry, going to have to interrupt. The cat has decided to sit on the cord and is... Excuse me, can you move, please? <laughs> She's giving me this look like, no, I can't move. No, well, there I'm, we go. Just, just to break up the the flow of your. I'm a fucking cat. I'm not moving. <laughs>